begin now with the first of the five topics that we're going to cover in this red letter challenge. And with the red letter challenge, what you're going to find is that if you, if you and I hope you've started reading, it doesn't really matter where your class is on this. If, if you're in a, a small group or a class and, and they don't meet until later this week, go ahead and start reading. Um, the first five days are sort of introductory and they're meant to sort of ground you in the process and in the, in the, in the thinking that, that will be at the root of everything you're doing in the Red Letter Challenge. And um, we talk a lot about the Red Letter Challenge as being the words of Jesus in the Bible, but it turns out that in the Red Letter Challenge book, there's plenty of scripture, but some have, have asked me, you know, well, well, we really liked it in the Bible in 90 days when we did that because we had readings to do every day. So I've generated a list for you. So out there on that uh, rack that has all the red letter challenge uh, materials on it, there's a list of readings for every day if that will be something that you would value. If you're not in a small group or a class yet, we have a list of the classes that we know of right now that, who are doing it. And uh, I am and facilitating the sort of catch-all class. If you don't have any other place to connect, come over to the church, to the Wesley Cafe, and to the Shiloh Life Center at uh, 6 p.m. on Wednesdays, and there will be Red Letter Challenge uh, videos and groups around the various tables there, and so you can get it that way as well. If you want to start a group, but you're not sure what to do, just come see me. And if you have a group going, it will really be helpful for you to let me know and in writing is preferred. So having said that, we get to the point where after that first five days of, of sort of settling into the process, into the journey, we're gonna talk about topic number one, which is being. Now, to me, probably because of my mindset and my education, I guess I think of being on multiple levels. Like being for me is sort of a secular word for your soul. You know, it, it's that very, that inner person. It's the one you talk to when you don't think anybody else is listening and you're looking in the mirror and you're talking to yourself. It, it's the one that you talk to in your inner dialogue, you know, like, like why do you keep doing that, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Why haven't you stopped yet? You're full, you know, and on and on, right? So this would be your being that you're talking to. I may have betrayed some of the inner dialogue that I sometimes experience, you know, you shouldn't have said that, <laughs> you know, for example. But in, a, uh, in another sense, being is also about the, the active presence. And so, you know, one of the first things that, that there are a lot of things that seminary and, and religious uh, training for ministry taught me. There are a lot of things I had to learn on my own. And one of those was, for example, when people are experiencing the death of a loved one, more often than not, the most powerful witness you can give, especially if you happen to be a minister, but really it's anybody, is, is your presence, just being. Um, I have found that in my ministry experience, sometimes you pay very close attention to what's going on and then you just make sure that you're visible. You don't say anything, you don't, you don't do anything really, you just, you're there. And when the time feels right, you might shake a hand or give a hug. You might shed a tear. 
Um, you're almost certain to say something dumb if you open your mouth. <laughs> oh, inner dialogue again. No, seriously. I have warned people at many times before visitations begin at a uh, funeral home or here in the sanctuary, I'll just say, look, there are going to be some people coming through the line who are dearly precious people that dearly love you and they mean the best, but they'll say something dumb. And it's because they feel like they have to say something. You know, they, they don't realize that their presence is meaningful enough in and of itself. And so they'll try to say something encouraging and you just kind of shrug it off because, you know, unless you've been there or if you haven't been there in a long time, you sort of forget that, that saying trivial things don't, that doesn't really bring you much comfort but the, the presence does. And so the reason I use that illustration is a way of saying that presence is what being with someone is. Um, I find it really interesting. I, I heard, actually I heard Dave Ramsey give this example once, but I think most men will tell you that not all men and not all women are like this, but, but a lot of men will talk about what a good time they have with another man or with their son, let's say, uh, on a road trip. And, and they'll say, you know, somebody will say, well, what'd you talk about? Nothing. <laughs> you know, because they're quite content to just be together and go where they're going. And, you know, they talk when they need to. And, and other people, perhaps at the if gathering, and again, I don't mean to be sexist, but there are certain things that are more common than not. Stereotypes have a root in some sort of truth, right? So I imagine there was a lot of talking going on down there at the if gathering. And it was meaningful and rich for those participants. And I expect that the presence they felt in all of that was this touching as ever. There's probably lifelong friendships that have either been renewed or, or created as a result of that experience. So, so what, I, what I mean to say is, is that being in the sense of presence is meaningful at different levels and in different ways. So now I want to bring it around to our relationship with Christ. Our being in a relationship with Christ is it seems to us, can we be honest? I was thinking about this on the way here. It's not in my notes, but, but I, I really want to give you know, practical uh, assistance with, with our spiritual journeys here. And, and I thought about this and I thought, you know, I realize that there are plenty of people who will hear me speak, who have heard Christians speak of their relationship with Jesus and they kind of scratch their head. I mean, be honest. They scratch their heads like, well, what does that even mean, right? I mean, have you ever thought, for an example, that you have, let's say, a foreign guest from a, uh, a place where there's no particular religious uh, activity in their lives, they're, they're not atheists, but they just are ignorant, don't know the, the things that you take for granted. And, and right before you sit down to eat, they've got their fork and their knife out and they're ready to dive in, and then you say, stop. And then you all silently prepare, and then one of you begins to talk to somebody who's not there. Try to look at it from their point of view. It's like, what are we doing here? What is this? I mean, their favorite reference is, is that there are five people sitting around this table and we're talking to somebody, but it's not any of them. And so... With that in mind, let us agree that when we talk about our relationship with Christ, it's a spiritual relationship. And there are, frankly, 
all sorts of variations of that before me right now. And before you, there's a variation of that. What is the extent of your being with Christ? And more than that, what we mean is the being of Christ, right? Because we'll say that in him we live and move and have our being. And that's because it is a, a relationship with a static uh, historical character. You're not talking about having a relationship with Abraham Lincoln through his written works, through the history documentaries you watch. You're not talking about a relationship. If that's what it is, you're missing the mark in your sense of what your relationship with Christ is. And yet we have to be honest. I mean, if we can't work this out for ourselves, we'll never really be able to share this faithfully with people who have not accepted Christ yet in any way. And so we have to be honest that our relationship with Christ is something spiritual and that we can't describe adequately how we can have a relationship that is living and meaningful and in every sense about our being and his being somehow being related, connecting to each other. So be honest and open and own that, that, that this, is, this is something that I am sure of in my own heart, but I don't know how to tell you precisely what it will look like for you to feel the confidence that you have a personal relationship with Christ, because that always starts with an act of faith. And it wouldn't be faith if you could figure it out before you did it. We have people who are volunteering to lead children's church who have faith that they can do it, but they won't know for sure until they're done. And that's an easy one. But when you say, I trust that I have a relationship with Christ, you're inviting him to sort of certify that, to, to affirm that. And these are uh, affirmations that are a mixture of feelings. But as a Enneagram uh, 5, I'm going to tell you that I wouldn't be satisfied if it was just about feelings. You know, I wouldn't be able to make the case if it was just about feelings because feelings are unreliable. So what else is it? And I wish I could put that into terms that, that were easy, but... There's a, there's a point where feelings turn into certainty. There's a point where feelings, you know, um, for example, feelings about a, a certain political or, or, or non-political, let's say about a sports team or whatever, you know, I used to like, I'll tell you what, here's a feeling, right? I used to like baseball when I was a kid. I'm not a big baseball fan. I can say that because George isn't here now. I used to like baseball when I was a kid, but I don't much care for it anymore. And it's mainly because of a couple of big strikes that have happened over the years. And I just thought, you know, it just isn't fun for me. And, and so feelings affected my decision, but they're feelings. And, and I grew up in Pittsburgh, so honestly, my feelings could change this summer if the Pirates finally have a decent season for the first time in 25 years, right? You know... And maybe all of a sudden I feel good about the Pirates and I'm into baseball again. But, you know, it'll fade. So feelings in that sense aren't the best measure of how your relationship with Christ is. And yet there's a sense of certainty that you have. And I'll, I'll give you this. 
Another, another personal example, when, when Nathan was really little, like two or three years old, and he had been born with spina bifida, and it was all new to us, and we were going back and forth to the hospitals every week for something, and we just were in and out of hospitals for, I don't know, probably 15 or 16 years. We were at hospitals a lot with Ruthie and Nathan. And I remember watching Nathan, because he's kind of magical anyway. If you haven't met him, you know, get to know him, and you find out he's just really magical. And Nathan, he would sit there in his stroller when we would roll into an elevator and he would sit there and look at the door and you could just see his eyes twinkling with excitement because then when the door opened, he'd be so excited. He'd go, hoo you know, and out we'd go. And it finally dawned on me. It's like, you know, for Nathan, that's a magic box. For Nathan, you go in this magic box, the doors close, and a couple of seconds later, the doors open and you're somewhere else. When's the last time you got in an elevator and saw the magic of it? That, that the doors closed and the last thing you saw is the wall outside the elevator on the first floor. And then when the doors open, it's an entirely different scene. That's magical. And the reason that you haven't taken an elevator ride and seen it as magical anymore is because you've taken it for granted. It's just a fact for you. It's just, it's, it's a device, it's a means of transportation, it gets you from one place to another, you understand how it works, you even have a little bit of anxiety about how it could not work at some point or fail in some way, but, but you, it's not magical anymore because you are confident about its workings. And so this is when feelings start to turn into facts because they're consistent experiences. They're rooted in consistent experiences. And so this is what I think it means to have a relationship with Christ. It goes from feeling warmed and, and, and overwhelmed and grateful by the love God has expressed to you through this Act. You know, a lot of Christians come out of the woodwork for Easter Sunday, and I don't mean any disrespect. There's a lot of reasons why they, they do that. But, but they'll come out at Easter time, and they'll hear once again that Christ died and rose again, and all of that puts me in a good relationship with God, which means when I die, I get to go to heaven, and, and uh, I'm really glad to know that. I'm really glad to know that. So it's magical don't really understand how it works, don't need to know how it works, I'm just glad it happened. But if you want to have a relationship with Christ, it's going to involve a deeper journey. Here's a good example that the author of the book we'll be using wrote. He, he's a younger guy than me, and he has young kids at home, but I remember this example myself. He, he said, it would be, if, if you have a casual relationship with Christ, here's what, what it sounds like. Jesus has told you to go clean your room, and you're a little kid, right? And, and so the kid doesn't come back, uh, you know, an hour or two later and say, hey, just want you to know I memorized your instructions. Go clean your room, he said, right? And he's not going to come back and say, you want to know something really cool? I learned how to say it in Greek. I've learned the root words of how to go clean your room, and it really means what it says. Go clean your room, right? He says, he, yeah, he even puts down the words, peo katharos sas domatio. All right, go clean your room sounds weird in Greek, but it still means the same thing. 
Well, you'd be impressed, of course, but uh, he's not going to say, uh, oh, oh, here's another one. He says, you're not going to, he tells you to go clean your room. You're not going to say, guess what, Jesus, my friends and I are going to gather and study what you look like, what it would look like if we cleaned our room. We're going to dig in to your word and we're going to talk a lot about what it would look like to clean our room, right? And so then he says, finally, it, it just doesn't work, right? Because that's, that's not what Jesus is calling you to. He's not calling you to talk about him when you're not talking, let's just say you're a history nut like me and say Dave over there, you, you're not going to talk about him as a historical figure, you know, because then he isn't any different from Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Jonas Salk or whatever, you know, take your pick. It, it, he's just a historical figure that's interesting to you. His words are profound. Well, many great people have made great speeches in history that are worth rereading once in a while. But, but in the end, that's, that's all we're talking about. And if we really want to do something like that, we can have a book club. And we can even have a book club that reads, where we read books about having a relationship with Jesus. And then we can talk about how good the book was about having a relationship with Jesus. And you know what? We do. We have Sunday school classes like that. We have small groups like that. We have online activities and devotionals and, and all sorts of things in our lives that are all about someone else's relationship with Jesus, but not yours. And there's the issue. Now, those people, I would say, argue that they're using the information and the experience that they have to help you have a relationship with Jesus, but they can only do that in the hope that you will cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Now, Hebrews 12, verses uh, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I've given this some thought, and I'm going to go out on a limb. I, I think you people that uh, have enjoyed watching The Chosen with me will be more inclined to understand my, my imaginative interpretation here. But it must have been a bit of a challenge for Jesus who had been in spirit always in the direct company of the Heavenly Father and the Spirit and the heavenly realm and the divine counsel and, and, and to, to have to be put off into our world of separation from all of that and to maintain that relationship with the Father within the limitations of being human. I think that must have been a challenge for him, which really means that his sacrifice is all the greater, that the meaning of his perfect sacrifice is more significant in that he had to do something that we pretty much have written off as impossible, which is to maintain a constant connection with the Father in heaven. And so he invites us to, re, to, to have a constant connection with him in another sense. He invites us to maintain a connection with him that is within our reach because he's a human like us. He, we can identify with him. And so having a personal relationship with Jesus then is, is 
we're looking at him as the pioneer and perfecter of it, right? He, he pioneered and perfected this human connection with God, right? That's, that's one of the things that he pioneered and perfected for us. And then he says, guess what? All you got to do is hang on to my coattails and I'll get you there. And so he's making a way for you despite the fact that it seems impossible. And that way is when feelings of gratitude, confidence, and hope that you're eternal now because of Christ and you have more to look forward to than just this life, you, you can take those feelings and evolve them through discipleship or discipline so that they become a real relationship. And if, if you forgive me for saying it so bluntly, most people have settled for the good feeling once or twice a year and a sort of, I don't know, like, a, like an insurance policy. You know, you open the drawer once in a while to see if it has expired. Nope, good, I'm good for, you know. And, and it's, it's meant to be a relationship. So how do we do that? How could you use this Lenten season to really improve that sense of being in the presence of Christ and to feel the sense of his being with you? Now, remember how I tried to illustrate it with the, with the example of the, of the death of a loved one and funeral services and so forth. Start by just being. Don't talk. Don't do whatever you think Pastor Dan would do or that person in your Sunday school class who seems to be so much closer to the Lord than you are. And, you know, don't, don't compare yourself to anybody. Just be. Be with Jesus. Just start by saying, Lord, and here's why, by the way, we used a hymn that sounded like it was something you sing before you go to bed at night. Because it says, abide with me. Be with me. That was the point, really. I, I was singing that with you, and I was thinking, gee, I'm going to have to wake him up. I love this hymn, but it just feels like one you sing and then crawl in bed, you know? And, and, and yet, it's such a beautiful hymn in how it speaks of the abiding presence of Christ with you. And yet, it's also a call for you to abide with him. And how do you do that? Well, if you want to be with me and just recognize that my presence is important to you and your presence with me is important to you, you would make a sacrifice. You'd have to give up whatever you were going to do and you would have to make time to come and sit with me and you'd have to be content if you never said a word to just be with me. And that's true with any relationship, but use that as an example. So... In the same sense, if you want to be with Jesus, you got to do the same thing. You got to start by making a sacrifice. You got to say, well, instead of doing what I was about to do, I'm going to take some time here to go be with the Lord. Now, you'll come and be with me when it feels like that would really be helpful because I have a particular need. You'll be with me when someone I love dies. You'll be with me when I'm sick or suffering in some way because you realize that a sacrifice of time and, and uh, whatever else it costs you is a way of helping someone you care about in need. But you probably won't do it when it doesn't seem like I need it. 
I probably won't do it when it seems like you don't need it. It's really easy for us not to prioritize being with people, especially when it is not known to us what their need is. And so the sacrifice is first an act of selfless thought. It's a matter of putting your mind on the things that don't necessarily directly pertain to you and your day-to-day life and activity. So abide with Jesus. And the Apostle John gives us the best way to do it. In the Word, with a capital W. So it doesn't necessarily mean read your Bible. But I will bet that all of those people who did the Bible in 90 days would say that not only did it feel so good to accomplish something you never thought you could accomplish reading the entire Bible, and in 90 days no less, but there was something about being in the Word every day that was powerful. And some of you have told me, I miss it. It was such a great sense of fulfillment in so many ways that I hadn't anticipated. And some of you, like me, listen to the Word You listen to it on your your Bible app or something every day. And all of a sudden, ordinary activities are enriched. You know, when I did most of my Bible reading last summer on my lawnmower, and it's an activity I really enjoy because, boy, once the weather warms up, I want to be outside. and, And I would be out in the yard working and listening to the Word in the Bible, but you can listen to the word in a good religious podcast. You can, you can listen to, to recordings of sermons like this. You can listen. Lots of things can feed the word of God to your soul, but you have to make an effort at it. You got to take time. And in the beginning, you think about it as a kind of courtship. I want to I want to land the plane here and I have more in my notes. So what I want you to think of is that this is this is like a courtship. If you will be honest and and may I say may I say, you know, as a man who's been married what 32 years now, I think I can speak to those who have also been married for decades and you know, if there are not explicit efforts to to keep the the vibrancy of that relationship alive, it will begin to fade, right? You, you have to continually invest in that relationship so that in many senses, uh, in many senses, many ways rather, I, I feel that, that sometimes in a marriage, for example, people will be so engrossed in those early years of marriage where they're, they're working really hard to make ends meet, take care of their kids and get everybody where they're supposed to be. And then, and then gradually they all start to trickle out the door, off to college, off to start their lives or whatever. And then they turn and look at this person they've been married to for 25 years and they go, I remember you. You were that hot chick that I met way back when. Couldn't live without, you know, right? And, and see, you have to remember your relationship. You have to remember that relationship. And what happens, of course, and sadly, is that in some cases, they can't remember anymore. And then the brokenness turns into separation. But here's the thing. 
With Jesus, we could say, I remember the fire of my youth. I remember when I had this relationship with you where every minute of my day, I felt like you were right there and I forgot. And he says, well, let's just try again. And, and you can. And it starts like a courtship. You have to figure out what's so compelling about Jesus that makes you want to know him more deeply. What's so compelling about his relationship with you? In other words, his, like, like one of the things that's really hit me in this stage of my life is, is you know, there are certain, I'm going to be 60 in about six weeks or so, and, and that's really been messing with my head. I'm not going to lie. And I know all you people who are older than me are going, yeah, you're just a kid. I've heard this all my life. It does, whenever you complain about how old you are, there's always somebody out there who's older who says, nah, maybe I'll do it too. I just haven't had anybody to tell that to lately. But, but here's the thing. It's messing with my head. And one of the things that I've sort of done that's redemptive is I said, you know, you're going to be 60 in a month or two. And you know what? If you haven't licked that one, you probably ain't going to lick it. <laughs> You know, that inner dialogue thing again. You know, if you haven't beat that bad habit, it's probably with you for life. So why don't you just forgive yourself for this particular imperfection, right? You know, I, I spent so much of my life striving to fix what's wrong with me and make my life better for, for all the people around me by correcting all the things that I thought needed correcting and, and you know, uh, righting all the injustices. You know, this is my makeup, right? And, and, and I've reached this point where I've just sort of said, you know, it's time to be content because the facts are against you. <laughs> the fact is, is this is how it is. This is who you are. Accept it. And you know what's happened as a result of that? My relationship with Christ has bumped up to a notch that I hadn't previously experienced. Because all of a sudden I'm hearing his voice. He said, you know, if you'd have shut down your inner dialogue a long time ago, you would have heard me saying these things to you. But instead, you had to, you had to keep on disagreeing with what I've been trying to tell you about yourself. You're okay so far. Right? Anybody run into me lately and say, how you doing? And I say, I'm okay so far. Now you're starting to catch on. Being with Jesus is in many ways about accepting yourself the way he accepts you. And that makes all the difference. There are a lot of habits you can get into that will enhance your relationship with Jesus. Look at the sermon notes if you want to. They're on your app. Uh, online folks, they're in the app you're using to view this. They're on paper out there. If we run out like we did last week, we can print more. You can get them emailed to you. you know. But there are bullet points there of all sorts of disciplines that you can follow that will help you. And remember that discipline and discipleship are essentially the same word. You're a disciple of Jesus because you follow the steps that engage you in a relationship with him for all eternity. Isaiah 40, 30 to 31 says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's why you want to pursue this relationship with Christ, because that's what it does for you. 
And so I encourage you now to pray with me that that could happen. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we want to have a richer relationship with you, especially this Lenten season. We, we will call it a sacrifice if we give up things in order to have a deeper relationship with you. We want to have all of our being wrapped up in all of your being so that we are one with you and one with each other in your Holy Spirit. And it is for your name's sake that we pray. Amen. Thank you.